Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 99. We are forever. This week, we're discussing season 4, episode 21 of Buffy, Primeval, and the 2012 Doctor Who Christmas special, The Snowmen. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, here we are. And uh, my my soul triptych theory, which I came up with in the first episode or two yeah. 90, of the show. 98 episodes ago. 99 episodes in, and we finally have like some rigorous like test of this theory um so before we get to that um let's talk about the scoobies themselves in question before we sort of get into their you know combined status i guess Mm -hmm. um because we start out the episode with them having split apart you know, Spike kind of effectively turns them against each other. So we see them mm-hmm. sort of by themselves. Yeah. Uh, so to start with Buffy, um, you know, we get her sort of alone in her room, you know, because she kind of says something about going to people who she can trust. But of course, Riley isn't there. Riley's off doing his own thing. So we see her sort of by herself in her dorm room. And um, and we find out very quickly is he even trustworthy, like well, right. like I mean yeah. later in the episode that you know right. gets answered, but like right when we don't really know what's going on, it's like hmm. well and you know it didn't even occur to me just to talk about Riley really quick before we get to him. Yeah, like, sorry, I didn't you know, mean to go down that road because I just assumed at the end of the last episode that he went to Adam yeah. for revenge. Yeah, because th- that seemed like. To make sense, you know, he yeah. got this news of Forrest's uh, death. Yeah. You know, he's going to go have the showdown. And then, you know, you find out that's not quite true. So it didn't occur to me that you could have read it a different way. Like, you could have read it as suspicious that suddenly he just left and is going to Adam. Um, you know, and we kind of find out why that is. Um, yeah. But, but there is that kind of if I had been thinking about it a little bit more, you could have maybe had the question of why exactly is he going there? And and is it for a, a good or a trustworthy purpose? Yeah. So. I, I just mean, so like the opening scene, right. Is, is Buffy going and not finding Riley. And then you cut right to Riley and Adam mm-hmm. there. And that's when you find out like Riley's not really sure why he's even there. And Adam's kind of right. like manipulating. Him. Yeah. So like, yeah, no, like you even do find if, out if, pretty quickly. even if you're not thinking that when you see Buffy initially, like in that scene, like sort of the simultaneous, I mean, yeah, obviously it's not exactly simultaneous cause we, we have to watch it, you know, one after another, but, um, you know, sequentially, but like, knowing that these are like going on at the same time in the story yeah. it's like then you then you like sort of realize like oh like yeah buffy has just sort of been split apart from all her friends and her boyfriend's not not only is he not around and she doesn't like we you know we find out later in the episode she thinks that like he went off because of forest right and we don't know like that that's the case like 
Right. It's sort of implied this this time that it actually has nothing to do with Forrest. Right. That it's that Adam sort of being drawn there. Yeah. Turns on the chip and some signal brings him into right. You know, see him. So like right, but but it's true. Like if you kind of were to kind of splice the things together chronologically, it's sort of in the very moment that Buffy's mm-hmm. declaring that he's you know trustworthy in the way that her friends aren't. He's, you know, being sort of compromised by yeah. Adam. Right. And not that, like, we think that Riley is untrustworthy, which, again, we find out he's not. Like, he actually is trustworthy. So, right. you know, um, even even if, like, we think that, like, we don't know to what extent Adam has control over him. So, like, right. it's not that he might not want to be trustworthy, but, like, Forrest says later, he has no will. Like... Right, right. You know, your will is ours or whatever the phrase is that he uses. So anyway, maybe spend a little too much time on that. But yeah, like, yeah, just to point out that like, it's not even just like that she split apart from her friends, but it's like everything's sort of going downhill. Right, right. Um, Yeah, and I think pretty much instantly you see her kind of regret for the way things went, you know, that she's sort of Mm -hmm. looking at the photos of her friends and, you know... Um, obviously feeling bad about what happened. Um, so, and I mean, I guess with Buffy too, the other thing being as whether, you know, what kind of position within the group you put her in, she's definitely the leader, the protagonist, the main character, right? So, you know, I think it's important too that it's Buffy who kind of, uh, kind of does reach out to the others a bit more and uh, is the first to kind of realize mm. where the root of the trouble. You know, she's the one kind of saying, okay, where did you hear that I said these mean things? Or who yeah. was it that told you we were talking behind your back? Like she's sort of putting, you know, those pieces together yeah. a little bit more quickly. Yeah, well, and... And, like, I think she's asking those questions to get them to think. Like, I think at that point, she already knows. Like, right. she, she, you know, it's Spike. She uh, has her suspicions. Spike, yeah. I think she knows when she's talking to Spike in the cave because he slips up. He he says, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, he mentions about Willow and Buffy falling out. And he's like, oh, you're not going to let that. And she kind of gives him a little look like how do you know about that? Because it just happened a few hours ago, you know, like, I mean, it's been overnight, but like, it hasn't been that long. So it was like, just happened a few hours ago. She hasn't seen spike. Probably guess that Willow hasn't seen spike in the meantime. Like, I think that's the moment. And she played, it's almost, I can't prove it because it's almost like too subtle. I think like, Mm -hmm. I do think that there is a look that she kind of gives, but I also, but she also sort of plays it off like, yeah. okay, I've got to go now, you know, like, but I, I think the fact that she immediately then goes and calls them all together and is like, look, who, you know, who said this to you? Who said this to you? Yeah. Who said this to you? Yeah. Spike, well, funny enough, Spike we all heard it from the same place. Yeah. Like, like, I feel like that's, it's a pretty clear set of events. So I feel like she actually puts it together in the cave and then mm-hmm. is that's what sort of prompts her to reach out to the others when she realizes, wait, this is a bunch of BS. We need to resolve this. Yeah. And then, and as quickly, like as soon as it's pointed out to them in that way, 
all the others were like, oh, yeah, duh, we're idiots. Like, yeah, yeah. So, anyway. Um, and, I mean, she also kind of, again, they follow her lead, but is the first to kind of take also responsibility for it, too. Like, in her conversation with Willow, when they're, like, spelunking mm. down the... the <laughs> down like the tunnel into the initiative um you know trying to kind of be forgiving to each other oh no it wasn't your fault you know like you didn't you didn't do anything you didn't mean it i know you're busy you have all this stuff going on doing all the stuff you do when you like feel bad and are trying to make somebody you know feel better but buffy kind of says like yeah spike stirred up the trouble but trouble was stir up a bowl like there was sort of you know, we kind of made his job a lot easier, you know, all of us, you know, and Buffy puts that on herself and then they all kind of agree like, well, you know, every, it's everyone's doing it. Everyone's sort of drifted, you know, Mm -hmm. they've either had their own, you know, uh, troubles or, you know, problems or relationship things that have kept them separate from the group or, you know, maybe like Giles and Xander have been the ones who've been more left out, but they haven't necessarily, you know, gotten themselves as involved as they could have. Like, it seems like everybody sort of agrees it, you know, it's it's not any one person's fault and nor is it just Spike's fault either. Like he didn't come and make this stuff up. Right. Whole cloth. He kind of noticed where are those insecurities and the weak points and kind of just poked at them until they, yeah. you know. Well, and right, that's kind of like what we were saying last time, you know, with the Yoko factor, where it was, it's like, it's not actually Yoko who's the problem. It's the right. problems were there. They've been festering. Right. And yeah, like Buffy puts it, they're stir upable. <laughs> so it's, yeah. you know, all the ingredients were there. They were just waiting for that, like, incendiary, mm-hmm. you know, piece to you know, uh, actually ignite them all. So, yeah. Um, um sorry, go ahead. No, well, I was going to go on to Willow next. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so, you know, and I guess for Willow too, like she, you know, kind of agrees with Buffy that, you know, it, it there's some shared blame and Willow in particular says, you know, I, I kept secrets, I hid things from everyone. So, you know, from her point of view, it's not necessarily uh, just the same as Buffy being sort of absorbed in her own kind of issues. But for Willow, it's it's that hiding. It was the kind of, you know, keeping of this new relationship secret from the group and feeling kind of protective and insecure about it that you know Mm. kind of led to her being a little bit more vulnerable um and but you know at the same time even though it's the next morning and they're all sort of not talking and awkward and everything she still goes back and gets the laptop back and keeps like determined to break this code and everything so you know, even as there's the the breaking up of the group, you still, she can't kind of let that, you know, even in the midst of the fight, they're not off duty, I guess. You know, she's still working to 
to break the code. Yeah. Well, and you even get that to sort of combine Willow and Giles' discussion here. Like, you get the same feeling from him where it's like, you know, they show, you know, Willow and Tara show up and Giles is like, okay, yes, he's in his house robe or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to put on a good face, though. You know, like, it's like he's embarrassed and is like, oh, are you going to be, you know, typing on your computer yeah near my you know hangover <laughs> yeah and and but then he's like well, you know that's okay like if you do like he doesn't want to like feel like he's putting them out necessarily either you know yeah. like it's it's funny to see awkward giles um but yeah like it's that yeah. same kind of thing like like he knows that there's something he still kind of has to allow you know like if this if Mm -hmm. if his apartment is sort of their new library so to speak like yeah that you know he he needs to at least pretend that he's okay with it um you know while it's while it's happening so like same kind of thing like he knows there's sort of a duty beyond you know anything that like the awkwardness can uh, sort of take away um I don't know if that holds up, though, with Xander. Right. Yeah, that's true. Um, Xander is sort of laying around yeah. um, in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, he doesn't uh, He doesn't really show up until Buffy calls him all together sort of explicitly. Like, he's not. But right. that's the whole, that's the complaint with him, too, right? Is that he doesn't have anything to do. Right. And, Even when he's part of the group, he right. feels like he doesn't, you know, and maybe, yeah, maybe if he felt that he had more of an active role, something, some job to do, he would be doing it. Um, and that gets at his kind of apathy about even just going to look for a job, <laughs> you know, because all the jobs that there They're are are not jobs that are appealing. Yeah. Which... Um, We've seen the jobs that he's taken on this year. Right. Like, so those are apparently more appealing than the jobs that are available. <laughs> like, right, right, right. You know, right, those are all the first choices. Those, yeah. those are all the ones he actually is okay doing. <laughs> what are the jobs that he doesn't want to Or at least do? was willing to give a shot. You know, none right. of them really stick for that long. Yeah. Um, but... I mean, I guess one thing he does have, too, is Anya, who, uh, you know, is a good kind of foil for that. Because, like, you know, Giles is sort of takes his own initiative and, you know, Tara gives Willow nice, gentle encouragements. But Willow kind of, you know, knows that she wants to be doing the code breaking and everything. She doesn't really have to be told to do that. Mm. Whereas, you know it kind of takes Anya to kind of keep Xander's spirits up, I guess. Yeah. Um, and kind of give him the pep talk that he needs. Well, and it, right. And it's the, it's, you know, uh, Xander's sort of propensity to wallow in his own uselessness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she mitigates it because like, it's not just like, you know, buck up, and get over yourself. She does say that, but like, right, right. but yeah, like, it, that was hours ago. Get over it. <laughs> yeah, she, right. She does say that, but it's not just that. It's right. it's also like, hey, it's not just a matter of 
you need to buck up and get over it. But you need to do that because you actually are valuable. You're valuable to me. And it shouldn't matter what the others think of you, which, you know, again, it's not that the others even think that he's invaluable, but she's saying like, look, I'm right here. I love you. I'm, you know, I think you're a good person and a good boyfriend. And that's why you should be getting up and doing something like not. Right. And for, and for Xander, it's, it's, you're a, you're a good person and you're a good boyfriend. It's not what you do. It's who you are. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you, what job you go out and get, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it matters to have a job, but that doesn't define you. That's not where his worth comes in. And even if right. he had a specific job to do for the Scoobies, that wouldn't necessarily be why he was part of the Scoobies to begin with, because right. that's not the point. Um, Which... Brings us to. Brings us to soul triptych stuff. Yeah. Because that puts him solidly in the heart category. Sure. Versus the body. Um, right. So here, here's the first thing I want to say. Yeah. I don't think... So we were, we were talking before this, like, what do we call it? Do we call it... Do we still call it the soul triptych? Or do we call it the soul, like, tetratic Or, like... <laughs> you know some you said quadrangle like, like I, there... I, I suggested quadrangle but i feel like that has too many like shippy connotations yeah, to sure. it so like you know it it it, it suggests a four-way romantic entanglement which is yeah. not at all what i want to suggest you know yeah so i want to say i don't think we should throw out the idea of the soul triptych um and that i even said to you sort of offline last time last week that um in in sort of preparation for this episode without spoiling anything that mm-hmm. when you brought up the idea of soul triptych back all those 90 some odd yeah like you know, episodes 99 ago, episodes ago um that that this was actually the episode i was thinking of when you said that so like i yeah. i think there's definitely a strong connection here um i don't know that we need to like quarrel too much over the the actual number because i think sort of in spirit it works like i actually think this is a good and and even like the specific things that like each one takes on uh, which we should talk about and talk about character wise but like i feel like there there is actually some pretty good evidence for that and that this is a similar if you know maybe slightly different model but that Mm -hmm. but that as like a concept it at least makes it work pretty well actually i think so yeah and i think like i think i said this at the time and if i didn't you know i should have or would have is that um i think it's a useful kind of model because you see the repetitions of these like Mm -hmm. groups of main characters and this kind of thing where they you know you get this kind of idea of you're stronger together and you each complete each other and have roles to play and and this and the the sum is greater than the, the individual parts and all that kind of thing and that that's what's important is that kind of coming together synergy yeah. yeah and 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 to suggest that they only need to correspond to one thing, I think would make it more dimensional than it needs to be. And I think sure. And and I think maybe they they a lot of times they do, but also 
I think these are sufficiently nuanced characters that, like, you know, they're capable of containing multitudes, you know, and, and depending on how you want to look at it, you might kind of see them working in different ways. Um, you know, so I think, and I think that that's part of this, this is a show which is now in its fourth season. So each of the characters are more complicated at this point than just, Mm-hmm. Okay, they're an allegory of something, and they only can represent one thing. Like that's not right. That's clearly not true. So sure. you know, like obviously, they're written so that they're r- round characters who each have minds and souls and parts bodies, and, and, yeah, and yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they each have parts. So you know, that's my why I don't want to throw out my original one. But, like, I think they can kind of coincide. And I think especially if you yeah. want to add Giles in to the mix, mm-hmm. there's necessarily a bit of, like, rearranging to the parts that they play. Sure. Um, yeah, no doubt. And I think you're right. Like, I mean, I don't think, like, there are certainly, I mean, some of the fun of having a model like that is seeing when the model breaks. Sure. Like at what point and and not and like by fun I mean fun you know from an analysis but also I'm sure fun for like the the people making the show too it's like okay yeah. Xander's always like the body guy what happens mm-hmm. when he's you know not and actually has a good idea mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. that sort of thing so like yeah I think it I think it works even when it doesn't work in a way like sort of paradoxically right. and and it, and it does because it's like it depends on how you want to look at it like i think consistently xander is shown to be the most kind of um like impulsive and sort of you know the one who kind of does rely on his more you know kind of immediate physical needs like mm-hmm. you know sure. than the others but he's clearly not the fighter you know, that's clearly Buffy. So what what do you, what constitutes the body? Is it like right. our physical comfort or is it the thing which, you know, it takes action yeah. and yeah. makes things happen? But, and those are both true. And so kind of when you look at it from different angles, yeah, they fulfill different kind of roles, I guess. So Yeah, but at the same time, like when you look at like the jobs that he's done, they're all sort of like manual labor Sure. Or, like, you know, they're certainly not, like, the kind you need a degree, you know, and sit around thinking about. Right. Um, you know, even, like, I mean, I say manual labor, but even, like, things like driving around an ice cream truck. Like, that's mindless. Yeah. Like, quite literally. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you just drive around and you serve cones. Away. And not, you know, I mean, I don't mean to belittle that because I love the ice cream truck coming around. <laughs> like, you know what right. I mean? But, yeah. like, it's not, you know going to college and right thinking about stuff all day or you know whatever um right right so like yeah. like there is there is still that aspect to it but at the same time it doesn't like i mean you know you have gut instinct that doesn't mean he's stupid mm-hmm. you know right. like even like even like in this episode you know he's, he's the one who comes up oh, oh so all we need is combo buffy with slayer strength and Giles's multilingual know-how and Willow's witchy power. And Giles is like, right. oh, actually, that's a good idea. That's a good like, idea, And it's yeah. like, you know, stuff that they're all sitting around trying to think about. Xander just sort of stumbles upon the solution 
again, right. like literally using his gut instinct. So it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't mean that you can't have good ideas or that you can't yeah. fit in in other ways. It's actually a reminder that there, that sometimes there, you have too much mind, <laughs> you know, yeah. that sometimes you have to just sort of sit back and, and let your, you know, primal primeval you know go with the mm -hmm. episode title you know your primeval mind sort of act and and just go on instinct so yeah <clears throat> um yeah and kind of similar to like you know you know in some ways i think willow is is certainly of the three you know younger ones is the most sort of intellectual or academic but I like kind of that idea too of her as spirit because you have all these magical associations now, yeah. you know, and Giles can fulfill the role of the book learning academic, right. you know, and, and, you know, which is maybe where more where Willow started, but now hmm. she's expanded beyond that. And her learning, you know, has kind of transcended into this more, you know, like, you know, even Spike in his thing about, oh, you don't do so much of the hacking anymore. Like, it's kind of acknowledging the fact that she's right. evolved. Not that she can't still <clears throat> do that, but that's not really her main function anymore. Right. Now it's in this realm of the spiritual and, you know, the conceptual. Yeah. And, you know, so it's still kind of, it's still kind of mental, but it's like on a different plane now. It's not about sure. like... The, the technical book learning, it's more about her mind and yeah. spirit expansion and stuff. Yeah, it's more know. like meditative and like, right. you know, transcendent than, right. than right. right, like intellectual knowledge. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think that that works. Yeah, and definitely, like you said, the spirit and the magic sort of make sense together to go there. Yeah. Um, and and um, well and so actually when you think so talk going back to like the body with Xander um he so like he's the animus the heart but like animus mm -hmm. also has sort of like soul connotation to it mm -hmm. like right. it's it's that right like a jungian thing right yeah so like there's there's the um but there's also like the body the bodily like beating heart as well so like mm -hmm. he's still like if you want to take like his the things that he does are sort of the lifeblood in that they're necessary but they're sort of mundane <laughs> you know like right. he does he does the the tasks that need to be done but aren't like yeah the the fighting and the sort of glorious ones whereas buffy is the hand and that's yeah that's what you use to fight right like that's like your the thing that goes out and like punches people, <laughs> right. you know? So like they're sort of almost splitting up that idea of the body into mm -hmm. two, two different parts, sort of the, the external visible, yeah. you know, thing that makes connection with the world and the underlying sort of necessary for life, but not really taken into account because you can't see and feel it, you know? Right. I mean, you can feel right. a heartbeat, but, you know, it's right, only but if it's, you it's like an, it's are an invisible for it. kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And Buffy as kind of the hand like like yeah, both with the fighting, but like just the idea of the you know, as kind of the leader, the thing which goes out and gets stuff done. Like yeah, yeah. she's the thing which it 
all the others are contained within her, you know, so we get the metaphor then of like their spirits kind of go within her too, you know, so mm-hmm. that they're all, you get all four of their voices sort of layered on and yeah, yeah, all that's of a pretty them cool are kind part. of, all of them are kind of combined in her, you know, which is kind of like what people are, you know, you see the physical, you know, shape in front of you, which is the person but they contain all these other things which within them. Um, yeah. And you kind of need all of them for it to be a full, yeah. you know, per- well, person. And that's, you know, it bring, that's brings up sort of the interesting, um, well, I'll use a phrase that I know has connotations <laughs> because we just read it um, in Hope Merleys' book uh, mm. around legal fiction of... Uh-huh. Um, uh, so one one of the things that a lot of people, especially like on the left side of the political spectrum in the U.S., get upset about is the idea of the legal fiction of corporations being a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I mean, it is legal fiction. I don't mean to say that like they're wrong to necessarily, you know, argue yeah. the point. Um, but there's a reason why corporation use is is called a corporation and it you know there's the latin word corpora which is which Mm. means body and so like you can see that sort you know you see that sort of thing like in in sort of these you know big organizations that you know kind of in a way work as like a single body you know doing this various thing even though there might be different aspects whatever and it's like the same kind of thing here it's like yes they're all different individualities but they're working together and here you have the uh, magical component to it. So, like, you can see, like, like you said, all the spirits kind of go into it. But, like, I mean, I think that's just, like, when you have a really good group of friends, you know, the, and, and even, like, there's the whole military aspect with the initiative. It's like, you know, you have a troop of soldiers and they're supposed to act as one, you know. Like, you, you know, you're supposed to have, like, that's why you have the discipline and the togetherness and whatever. So, like, I think that sort of metaphor works sort of real world, too. Like, when you have yeah. this group any group of people where they're you're working towards like the one goal and you're you're aligned enough to get together to each of you know that you have different parts and be willing to take those parts on and i think that's sort of the key here it's not just like oh we we're all because like they never throughout the season they don't stop all being like the scoobies right they're they're still you know technically part of this group or whatever but throughout the season, they've all sort of lost sight of what that means and what each of their individual roles are. And they're into, like, even you said, like, maybe most prominently with Willow, but sort of all of them together or and separately are trying to figure out where they fit into this group. Mm-hmm. You know, now that some of them have moved on, some of them haven't. Like, yeah. you know, and how does that work? How does that do? And And you can get sort of the meta... Um, you know, seasonal arc metaphor, which we've talked about a number of times of the sort of going, you know, at the the post high school sort of drifting apart and yeah. coming together. Like that's all fine, but also there's there's this idea of like part of what binds them together is this purpose, and it's mm-hmm. having to rediscover that in this particular episode. You know, which is where that happens. That yeah. I feel like you know, it's now they're all like, oh yes, this is a reminder of, this is why we work together because only by working together can we actually defeat these evil 
things, you know, so. Yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, which I think is, you know, so not only are all of them necessary to do the spell itself, but all of them are kind of instrumental in even coming up. It's not like they just need four people. It's like right. their skills in particular, you know, so you do have Xander suggesting, you know, maybe accidentally, but making the intuitive suggestion of, of the plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Willow and Giles being able to sort of figure out the 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 academic and the magical components of how to execute it, and then Buffy being the one to actually, like, go in and do it. Right. Um, so it's not... It, it is the, the idea of all of them together, but it's all of them specifically. Right, yeah. No, absolutely. I think... Like you said, it couldn't just be any four people. So yeah, yeah. No, that makes that you know, sense. which is which is kind of you know. I think to stick with that metaphor of going away to college, that's kind of you know, not always. Sometimes people totally drift, but kind of the idea of yes, things have changed and they're not going to be the same as they were before. But that doesn't mean that there isn't still that bond there. Um, you know, mm -hmm. they, they will be different people and they have different relationships than they used to and they're still kind of finding their way. But, you know, awkwardly at first, but pretty quickly they yeah. kind of are able to come back together and, yeah. and do their parts. And they are all, you know, still have that kind of, you know, strength and willingness to be yeah. together. So you get the, I like, I like to, um, not only is the way their voice is layered in, but, um, there's kind of a bad wolf glow about Buffy's eyes too. That makes yeah. me smile. Um, yeah, you sure. know, but her kind of with that, you know, and you get this very mythic idea of like, okay, clearly the spell is powerful on it. Like this is dangerous magic. You probably can't do this every week, you know, like right. this can't be the like, answer to all of their problems this is like a one and <laughs> right. done kind did, of deal did joss sort of back himself into a corner with like the well, ultimate <laughs> i think there's enough hedging of the idea that this is very difficult to do and can't be interrupted and it's very dangerous so like it's a kind of you know yeah i i don't i, I i'm sure that's in there to make sure that this isn't this doesn't become like deus ex machina like why can't they just do this spell right. you know every week yeah why can't um, the eagles just fly frodo to mordor right yeah. right because the show would be over really quickly if, <laughs> yeah. um we still have but, three seasons to go <laughs> i know right um but uh but like so like not only is the spell powerful but you get this mythic significance of the four of them together of you know so when they're kind of speaking in Buffy's voice you know saying you know we are forever and you can't hope to grasp the source of our power so um you know like it's hard to know how much to read into that? Like, is there something specific about these people that gives them extra power? Is that just the effect of the spell? We don't quite know. Could be a bit of both. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I've always, and, and I don't know that we get a very specific answer like to that question. And that like not saying that you were necessarily looking for one. It's more 
asking yeah. the questions, I think. But, like, I've always sort of taken that to imply that, like, and actually in, in the context of sort of, like, the triptych as, a like, an archetype, like, I kind of take take it to be that thing. Like, this is, like, within the, the Buffyverse, this is, like, a historical archetype that, like, there's something... Mm. There is something specific about these four, but there's also kind of not like that, Mm -hmm. that any four group of friends who fit sort of this profile would be able to tap into the same power. But it's just so rare that it doesn't happen very often. But like that, I, I, you know, because of the phrase that we sort of picked out, you know, the we are forever like that, that it implies sort of this overarching, mm-hmm. um, you know, theme of, of these four things coming together. And, and it, you know, what? I didn't really think about this before, but it also has sort of like the classical, like four elements feel to it, you know, sure. like that there's yeah. this, and I, you know, I've never looked at this, you know, more about this sort of thing than I do. I, you know, are there alchemical sort of, things involved yeah alchemy is all about like the humors and yeah yeah and and all things of four correspond to each other and you know so yeah like i said you know way more about that that. than i do but um you know just along those lines uh so i i feel like there there is this sort of like over you know all-encompassing archetypal sort of feel to it you know, that maybe, you know, I mean, we talked about how Buffy is just by the fact that she has friends and family helping her, mm-hmm. that she is uh, different from, right. you know, Slayers in the past. But maybe there have been, I mean, this spell wasn't isn't a Slayer specific spell. So maybe there have been other ways that it's been used. You know, I mean, sure. it, it's a spell that exists. So clearly it's not the first yeah. time it's been used. And that's. I guess sort of what I'm trying to get at is that is yeah, just has this like sort of historical significance. Right. But it just is rare. And Right. No, and I like the that you like refer to it as like archetypal. Like mm-hmm. yeah, like if you kind of there's something powerful about this unity of elements, you know. Yeah. So however you kind of combine them, they have a kind of mythic yeah. power to them. Um, um, but it but, takes having but, but the it, elements. But it's difficult to to accomplish yeah. because it's so specific. Yeah. And and it takes like people sort of emb- who embody those elements, but not just that. Like you, it, it's like okay, I could have you know the ingredients to a you know whatever you know cake or something, but like if I don't put them together in the right order in the right way and cook it at the right temperature, it's not going to come out you know, good. So like you could have four people who embody these things, but if they're Mm -hmm. not working together well and in the right way and not sort of fighting, like, you know, up until this episode, these guys were, (laughs) then, then you can't do this. So that's, that's sort of the way I've always taken it. But, but I think Joss leaves a lot of room for interpretation, you know, so as the best mythic <laughs> stuff should yeah. be. Um, yeah, I'm not. Like, yeah. I, I just make that, I just say that to make sure that I'm yeah. not, I don't mean to imply that that's like. Not, we're not closing off any lines of inquiry yeah. or anything. No, no there's, um, I, I, I'm all about reading, you know, the text and pulling my ideas from the text. But I'm also very open about when I realize that 
this is just my interpretation and not necessarily right. the only way it can be taken. So Right. Um, the last thing with them that I wanted to mention in particular, too, was I just liked, you know, some of the imagery that it's, it was just kind of unusual. I wasn't expecting, like, the way um, Buffy stops the bullets and... And then especially when she turns the missile into the doves, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it's not like a totally, like, love and peace ending. Like, she still defeats the bad guy and rips his uranium core out and, like, <laughs> His uranium know. heart? Yeah. It's, like, yeah, very, with, like... With, like, the spine still attached to it and everything. Very, um, uh, like, you know, B-movie martial arts. That's exactly... <laughs> I was thinking of, like... This is awful, but, like, it made me think of that scene in Dumb and Dumber when he has to, like, punch through the guy. Yes. Which is what that's referencing. Right, So right. I just got there another way. But, yeah. Um, so, like, but that's, and that's fine. Like, I'm not objecting to that. But that's more kind of what you expect is, like, Buffy gets superpowers and super ability to defeat the bad guy. But before that, there's this kind of weird zen moment of turning, like you know, the bullets into birds and all this yeah. kind of thing, of, which is... And, like, putting his gun away for him. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, I also, actually... You know, which has kind of... It just was a little bit unexpected, and I liked that um, image. In, in that moment, too, I like how she sort of turns the tables on Adam's treatment of Riley back onto Adam. Like, she forces him, you know, to back yeah. down in, right. in, like, that same way that he's been sort of forcing Riley. So I, I like the sort of subtle subtlety of that in there. Um, we should discuss briefly the matrixy aspects of yeah. the effects. Yeah, sure. Um, with the bullet stopping, which yeah. is, and, yeah. and the, you know, like even the way she moves, like yeah. kind of the super fast um, speeds and everything and, and the jumping in the air and delivering like eight kicks to his chest in a row right, right. while in timing yeah, like, timing bullet. wise the matrix came out in 99 mm -hmm. in march 99 I, I had to look this up i don't just know that off the top of my head um yeah. and this came out in may 2000 mm -hmm. so i don't know how explicit that was sure it seems like the timing could have been like i mean presumably they would have been working on this like summer yeah early fall maybe of 99 so mm -hmm. <laughs> like a few months after the matrix came out sure not not and and post-production i mean this is you know this is the final so post-production may have even been in late 99 for this episode you know to right. get it ready for whatever um Entirely possible. They took some hints. Yeah. Joss Whedon definitely mentions it on the mm -hmm. uh, uh, um, commentary for this episode. Don't know. He he doesn't say like, oh, yes, that's what we were going for. He just mm -hmm. acknowledges like, oh, and here's our Matrix effects. <laughs> like, right. Right. So. Um, right. Or or it could have been a, a subconscious thing or just, you know, it, it they saw it and suddenly it looked more similar than they'd intended it to or whatever. Right. Um, right. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know that that's a bad thing, but I just feel like because of the proximity of the show sure. to the movie and like, um, or, you know, this episode anyway, and like all of that, like at least to acknowledge 
Like, yeah. I, I haven't seen any confirmation that they definitely were going for that. But I think, like, I think sort of thinking about it that way and what you were talking about, like, the Zen moment, like, there is that moment when, like, Neo first kind of realizes he can do different things than everyone right. else can. And, right. he, and he does sort of get that, like, same, like, look of, like, Oh look! Here's a bullet. I'm gonna pull it, pull it out of the air, and you know, drop it on the ground, kind of thing. Well, and that idea of you don't need to dodge the bullets. You don't even need to do that. You can just stop them. You know, so like that kind of ultimate power of it's not even about swerving at like super speed. It's about you know, I can just magic these bullets into birds, and Mm -hmm. you know, like. It's not about speed and strength. It's like right. you're operating on a whole other level yeah. that this bad guy can't even touch you. It's the, the ultimate, um, you know, nonviolent response kind right. of, right. you know, idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, which is cool. Like, I mean, obviously, like, she needs to fight to kind of dispatch him on a physical level. But there's that idea of she's ascended to so far beyond his his kind of plane that it's just a matter of cleanup at that point to take care of him that he's you know we've spent this whole leading up to what we've seen of adam of kind of building him up as this you know super indestructible chaotic you know bad guy this big bad and in the end you know he's kind of just another bad guy um yeah, right, and not and and not to say he's he's a weak bad guy, but like the Scoobies at their combined magical strength, he's like not even a threat anymore. You know, right. and that doesn't mean because again, I don't expect us to see this spell, you know, on a regular basis. Right. So that doesn't mean like now they're indestructible, but the mythic power of the Scoobies, you know, he really can't stand up to that. Um, the, yeah. And I think I, I like it too, because the whole, well, from when we first saw Adam, anyway, I almost said the whole season, but we don't actually see Adam until like the back right. half. I was thinking the um, same thing. Like, yeah, just the last like half season or whatever. The, uh, you know, for as long as we've seen Adam, we've understood that he enjoys, like he, he almost, ha- it's like he has the same sort of detachment that Buffy gets at the end there too. Yeah. But like from the beginning, except that his attachment is like, we talked about sort of the Frankenstein aspect or or Frankenstein's monster Mm. aspect of like the, I just want to learn, you know, stuff. Mm. (laughs) And, you know, that includes taking apart the bodies of little boys and, you know, whatever kind of, so there's this, there's this idea that, um, you know, he has the same attachment, but it's violent. And he talks about liking the violence and enjoying it, even though he's not participating, he's just sort of watching and orchestrating and not that he can't do that. Like he certainly can, but it's like what he has to do is so minimal to like kill other people. And like the, you you know, Buffy even like when she's talking to McNamara here and he's like, we're going to throw everything we've got at him. And she's like, Oh, so you're basically recharging his batteries. Mm-hmm. You know, like the worst things that you can do to him are actually help him out even more. Right. Like there, you literally can't do anything. So like, I like that aspect, you know, like you were saying of 
where like it gets turned and now he's the one who's trying to attack her with everything he has and it's just nothing to her like yeah. there's there's this it it just turns that table on him and even like his interesting is like you know he's getting angry and like right. that's what what is sort of you know fueling his own um violence and stuff but anyway i i like that whole piece of it yeah so anyway so do we do we have anything else for adam um i mean he's dead now i feel like he's dead and he kind of like you said it kind of sits above it all and orchestrates his plan but um yeah, I I guess the only thing I would say is like we do finally get the like we we got the hints before of like he wanted maximum carnage and stuff, but right. here is where we actually get the why of it. Um kind of through Buffy's sort of figuring it out that he wants body parts. Like he's right, basically he'll just use all the corpses to yeah, build yeah. He's going to build his own like cyborg army, presumably more like forest than right. like um Maggie and Engel, Engelman, I think it is, yeah. um, end up. But, um, yeah, like, that. that's what, like, when, when we were talking before, it's kind of like, we weren't quite sure, like, why does he want all the demons and all the right, demons being right. killed? Why that, does he want casualties on both sides? Yeah, like, yeah. That, that was sort of the question. And now we know, because he wants parts. He mm. wants to build an entire army, like, himself, basically, in right. his own image, so to right. speak. Right. Um, Adam, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, no, it's... I, I think that's... That was the only maybe explicit missing piece that we had, but... Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fine. There are a lot of casualties. Fortunately, he doesn't get to give out his plan. Right. Uh, and, and, and do that, so... Right. Um, yeah, and we do get kind of... Uh, the glimpses of Adam and Walsh and Engelbert too, but like they're, they're zombified at that point. It's not really them anymore. You know? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's some hints of it. Like you get Forrest still kind of like resentment and, you know, yeah. and jealousy, but like you kind of get, I don't really feel that that's necessarily really him anymore. Like that, that might be kind of an after effect of his, of his you know i don't know like i i take it differently i guess i i do think that that is forest uh to a certain degree anyway like definitely maggie and engelman are zombie like i, I mean i guess it depends on how much we can take what forest cyborg forest actually says mm. um you know he says that Maggie is just sort of a reanimated corpse. So like that's typical yeah. zombie. Like she's just doing what Adam as sort of her master is telling her to do. Yeah. Um, Forrest, I think, I don't know because, because such an animosity develops between him and Buffy and then mm -hmm. sort of secondarily him and Riley. I do kind of think that it's plausible that, at least some level of his original personality is there. Now, is it mm -hmm. diminished or, or maybe is the anger augmented in some way? Like certainly he's modified. So like, right. we don't know what Adam has done to him. 
Right. Um, and we know that clearly the initiative has created these behavior modification chips that we now right. find out are not just in Spike, but also in Riley. So, right. I mean, it certainly seems plausible that he could have modified, uh, you know, Forrest in some way to to sort of change sure. or augment or or de-augment, whatever the minimize, I guess, you know, certain uh-huh. aspects of his personality um, in one way or another. So I, again, it goes back to like, how much do you take Forrest's explanation at face value or right. not? Um, right. So that's my take on it. Certainly. Sure. Uh, I think it's another one of those instances though, where there's definitely some wide room for interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, so we get, I mean, I guess I think it kind of is, I took it maybe kind of similar to Riley in a way of Riley's thoughts and opinions aren't necessarily so much modified, but his behavior is. I guess that's the difference. Like, I can mm. definitely see Forrest saying the things that he says and still feeling the animosity, but like his behavior of fighting Riley and fighting for Adam seemed to be sort of, you know maybe influenced or controlled by yeah. you know and and in the same way you know riley's saying you know you can't tell me what to do i'm a independent human and then he's like sit down and riley says okay so like he has you know he he on some level knows that this is wrong but he at first can't physically kind of control himself um Mm -hmm. yeah which we do find out he has a chip too um yeah and i mean he proceeds to rip out of himself (laughs) that's one way to one way to effectively deal with it um just now spikes is in his brain so that's a little bit harder for him but yeah just to finish up with forrest real quick before we move on to them um i guess the only the only other thing I would say to point out too, is that we certainly, and I think this supports what you're saying is, is that um, like, for example, when, when Spike sort of gets loose out of his grasp, like when Spike is finally sort of uh, Adam finally decides to like kill, have Spike killed, Spike mm-hmm. is able to get away and Forrest is about to go run after him and Adam tells him to stop that. So like you mm-hmm. do get sort of that similar like I again, I think that sort of supports what you're saying, as far as like you get that similar like immediate boom, you know, correction right. of right. what he's doing, and you know, gives into the order rather than sort of going after him himself like he was going to. Right. Okay, so on to Spike and Riley. Yes. I don't. Uh, maybe Riley first. Another interesting, you know, they're not part of the obviously not part of the the core no longer triptych whatever Mm -hmm. we're calling it um but you get another kind of dualistic thing of spike with the chip in his head and riley you know they don't say the chips in his heart but it's kind of implied that that's sort of right he's like it's like basically yeah yeah right next to whatever nerve blah 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 it's like well yeah it's right Okay, basically. So you get another kind of split there of like, you know, mm. of, you know, mind versus heart slash body, I guess. Um, yeah. So not sure what to do with that yet. You know, maybe that's 
something I'd want to think about maybe well, like in the next season or something, you know, but, um, and, and maybe if you add Forrest to that mix, then you do get the triptych because Forrest sure. has, you know, so you have mind and heart, which are both sort of hidden. And then you have Forrest who is body, you know, he's super strength. Now he's right. got all the physical changes. Right. Yeah, sure. Just, yeah, just a thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's pretty like, and you see the sort of the look of disgust on Riley's face when like Spike is like poking him and like, you know, at the beginning there yeah. when he's kind of like, oh, what happened to you? You know? Uh, yeah. So, you know, the realization that like, obviously, you know, one's a vampire and dead and whatever, and the other's alive and like fights demons and vampires and stuff but like to have this similarity between them that yeah uh incapacitates them both each Mm -hmm. in some way yeah uh is pretty pretty interesting so yeah yeah and and kind of stops them both from fighting you know with different motivations Mm. but you know spike for himself you know riley can't really fight on for himself, but on uh, unless he's of... to- right told to or whatever. Right, right. So, yeah, yeah. But but Riley's is gone now, and Spike still has his <laughs> implanted. True. So true. Yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts about Riley ripping the chip out of his own chest? There. Uh, I mean, it's probably not medically accurate is that what you're hinting at i mean i don't mind or or no i wasn't i i kind of like the whole thing um overall but yeah like Mm -hmm. it's not to say it's not problematic sure (laughs) Um, well and i guess you run into problems of like okay how does he have the willpower to do that in right. the first place. And that was know? more what I was asking about, yeah. like your thoughts on there. I was more thinking like the metaphysical aspects right. than Right. The physical, and I guess but... normally we would kind of get some sort of power of love explanation of how that's possible. They don't, they kind of just don't even really address it. They, you kind of just accept that somehow he did that. Um, so... Yeah. I don't know. I mean I, I mean know. I mean I think it, so like there's I mean it's it's a classic free will versus sure. predestination sort of thing like can you right. can you overcome your quote programming? Can you Right. Uh, and I guess it does then also raise a question of is it theoretically possible for Spike to do the same thing for him to overcome the programming which is now in his brain and and taking that a step further then you've you've mentioned how um the chip sort of acts like an artificial soul mm-hmm. for him so like mm-hmm. could it then go the other way for like i mean maybe for spike or uh, any vampire like yeah. could they overcome their soullessness by sheer willpower yeah by sheer willpower i mean that's it's a good question 
I, I'm not saying whether that will or will not be explored at any point in the <laughs> series. Um, but just like, it, you know, if it works one way, like, why would it not necessarily right. work a different way? And like you said, like, is there something different about Riley that lets him do it than Spike, which could mm-hmm. potentially let him? Right. I don't know. <laughs> we shall see. It's so, mystery. All right. Yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I, we shouldn't go too far down that road at this point. Um, again, uh, not for any specific reason. Of course not. Of course not. Uh, so, so for sorry for Spike. For Spike, okay. Um, I think you know we were kind of mentioning this a little bit before. Like he kind of swings all directions in this episode, doesn't he? Kind of. Uh, he is a know, great in his in his way. Of bets. <laughs> What's that? I said he is a great hedger of bets. Oh yes, um, yeah. So you get him, you know, working like three different contingency plans. You know, just in case, like trying to be on, you know, do Adam's job, but also kind of maybe not want to get himself too out of favor with the Scoobies in case they win the day, you know, but also, you know, try to see, can anybody get this chip out in the meantime? Because if he could just get that out, then he can skedaddle and doesn't have to worry about it. So, um, you know, and, and so I like that. And, And like, of course, at the end, you know, saving the Scoobies and they kind of call him on the fact that this is just so we won't stake you. And he's like, yeah, basically like, (laughs) did it work? You know, did it work? (laughs) And they're like too like tired to like care at this point. Um, so, you know, he's, he's funny because, you know, on the one hand, the fact that he's like the manipulator is completely obvious. So he's kind of, still he's sort of exposed again as a villain but they still don't take him that seriously like it's still not a oh look what spike did and and look all the trouble he can cause now we must keep a closer eye out you kind of get this like nah like well that's what he did like you know and and maybe that'll maybe that'll change but it doesn't seem like they even now really fully realize the damage that he can do it's sort of you know adam is still firmly the big bad of the season and spike is kind of an annoyance but not enough to get rid of him (laughs) well and it's funny i mean and but when you think about it like they're also kind of justified in in the way they feel because spike couldn't accomplish what he wanted to Right, you know, it like didn't he, work. He ended yeah. up being kind of incompetent in doing. So That's this is true. not this is not season two spike where he's withdrew right. and making master plans and then like. I mean, there's the whole like then Angel, you know, comes along and, and sure, or Angelus comes along and whatever, and then he's like turning around and making plans with Buffy. Although in a way, it is kind of like that because he's hedging his bets again in the same way, but. Like this is this is not Grandmaster Plan. I've killed two Slayers. Spike. Right. This is, I'm lying through my teeth just to try yeah. to survive. And what's interesting to me in particular about Spike's 
behavior this episode is not so much, you know, that he's doing all this bet hedging, but that he actively does not just run and try to leave the initiative in the ruckus, but actually seeks down, you know, seeks out where the Scoobies are hidden. And who knows how long he was waiting outside that door for a demon to try to bust in just so he could hop on its back. Just so he could save the And kill it. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. like, I, I could totally see him, like, hiding behind some piece of equipment just outside the door and waiting right. for even the right, right moment to come along. Or even, like, banging a little to, like, attract one. <laughs> you know, right, like, right. who knows what, you know, he... I mean, that's all speculation. We don't actually see what he's sure. doing. No, but but, but like, the point that he goes out of his way to... He goes out of his way in the midst so of, like, all this fighting. So they can see yeah, yeah. So, right, just so that... Because he, I mean, he sees which way things are going. Yeah. And that's the side he throws in with. And he may not be Grandmaster, you know, I got another Slayer killed, Spike, but he at least has succeeded to live another day. He survives, yeah. When a lot of demons and people did not, you know. So there's this aspect of it that he's semi-successful, I guess, in that respect. Sure, yeah, but like you said, I mean, he still has his chip. He's, you know, in the moment, they're letting him go. We'll see. Does is Can he manage to stay in their good graces? You right. know? Yeah. Who knows? Oh, Spike. Uh-huh. Um, um, we should maybe finish up real quick on, like, the Institute yeah. initiative itself. The Institute? Where the Institute. Um, um so yeah, that. so well, we get I mean, it seems like pretty much you know the, this is the end of the initiative is basically you know, I mean, Adam's plan doesn't succeed in the big picture, but it pretty effectively destroys the initiative from within, um, and so we get the these kind of mysterious government kind of old men sitting in a black room very yeah. clandestine talking about like you know the the purpose of the initiative and and, and the yeah. fact that it's this failed experiment so like sew it you know raise it to the ground fill it with concrete and let's just never talk about yeah. this again um burn, burn it down gentlemen burn it down and salt the earth yeah yeah so, very like this very biblical sort of yeah, you know yeah uh sentence almost like sure. for it. yeah <laughs> or judgment upon it <laughs> right <laughs> however right. you may want to look at it right um i i pointed out too uh that they do call themselves the council mm. uh it's not the watchers council i don't mean to imply right. that but right. i definitely think that they're they're sort of it's kind of a making a parallel yeah. Yeah, yeah like there so just thought i'd share that um right but yeah, I mean, this is this is the end of the initiative. Like, yeah, if which is interesting. So then, like, who who was the big bad this season? Was mm-hmm. it Adam or the initiative? Like, mm-hmm. which one actually? Or I mean, or were they both sort of? Or in is their it? Own way? Or is it these guys who are? Or, or yeah. like you know, and maybe the, not maybe not these guys specifically, but like 
whoever the kind of controlling power who's setting up these situations and has the means to you know experiment in these ways and everything like they say like they're the government so you know Um, this was the the government's attempt to you know we know that the government knows about the supernatural activity so this is their attempt to try to use that to their own advantage um and it failed but that doesn't mean that the government doesn't still want to use the supernatural to its advantage um it just means that this particular avenue didn't work and and uh has a very x-files-ish feel to it i don't know how familiar you are with that show but like just in generals not not uh, specifics but yeah the kind of like off the record government activity you know yeah and 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 government activity that knows that there's sort of i mean in the x-files it's more sci-fi you know explanations for things but same types of like that there are these unexplained sort of mystical or alien Mm -hmm. influences going on that they know about and they know exist but are covering up and and you know there may be these uh you know efforts out there but yeah they are not acknowledged and when when they do go wrong they just kind of yeah get raised to the ground and right and they kind of hint that that like you know the the buffy and the others aren't gonna go public but if they did they'd get like black bagged and like you know taken off to some like super secret or or just or would try to anyway right right (laughs) like they would kind of they have their eyes on them in case they blow their cover and everything yeah like the initiative as like a facility may be gone but that doesn't mean like buffy isn't still you know have surveillance on her or anything Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so um and I don't, I can't remember who all we see die. There are, I think we learn later, there are soldiers who actually do make it out. Like it's okay. not, um, or do they, or is it here? They, oh, here, no, it's here. They say, um, there's like 40% loss. So actually, you know, I okay. mean, there's still, we do know people make it out. Like, sure. I, not that like we ever really maybe yeah. see others people again, but just. Like, it's not, like, a complete right. everyone dies sort of thing, but, you know, it's right. a pretty good, pretty good amount yeah. of people die. Um, so, yeah. But, yeah, like, that's... So this is the end, at least, of the initiative in Sunnydale and of that program and all. Yeah. Um, so the last thing I want to mention before we switch over is just the kind of uh you know very like doctor who in the last since moffat took over here we are now in the fourth season you know of buffy and we have a certain structure that we're used to um and joss is sort of mixing it up a bit so you know we're used to kind of big epic finales you know that you have the showdown and the fight and you get rid of the big bad and then you know five minutes of denouement and then you know we break for the season but here we've kind of taken care of the problems you know of the the big you know villain conflicts and everything you know so adam's gone the initiative's gone 
um, Spike is sort of neutralized for the time being. Um, so, but we have another episode left. So, <laughs> so you know, what what's that? What's there to do? What what can we wrap up that hasn't been wrapped up before this season is over? Or what kind of questions are we gonna raise? that can wait a season, you know, like we can't, we're, this isn't like the next episode, like the, the season premiere. It's like, it has to function as a finale too. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what that'll look like. So I'm kind of interested to find out like what all the conflicts gone. So where's, where's the source of tension? What do we have to resolve? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. That's all. Huh? You don't have to tell me. Great, great um, questions. I'm sure I'll watch it soon enough, but it's yeah. kind of exciting to like go into an episode being like, I have no idea what what to do now. Like, what are they going to spend their time on? So, mm. sure. Yeah, no, it's a good, good, good question. Okay. <laughs> well I guess that's my my penance for all the two parters in Doctor Who, so Yeah, I and we'll we'll get I there. mean it's it's not I mean this was the second half of the two parter this time, so like Sure. It's not necessarily even like Right. It's not even like, oh it's a cliffhanger and what's yeah. gonna happen it's like I literally have no idea what comes right. next. So yeah. yeah. Um, I will say that, uh, the next episode, the finale does typically make it pretty high in the lists, you know, various lists of good episodes. Um, not even just of Buffy, but like of Whedon's shows. Mm, So, um, and I won't say anything more about it, I guess, because okay. we've, we've still got a little while before you can yeah. watch it. But, um, but yeah, like it, it definitely is intentionally different from the previous three seasons, and I think from sort of the way that most TV shows tend to do. Because I think I think that's how most TV shows are. It's like right. you either end the season on like a big sort of climactic event mm-hmm. um, with like a very brief you know, a few minutes long, denouement, like you said, or it's like a, a seasonal cliffhanger. Right. Um, we've had both of those <laughs> for the end right. of the season. Right. So like, I mean, obviously very, um, very intentionally done this way. Hmm. Uh, so we can see how that, why maybe that is and and how if whether it works and and whatever um and there there are some i'm interested to see because uh again without giving any spoilers there are at least a few images that i would be surprised if you had not seen Mm. like at least one of them from just general social media sharing and kind of thing Um, and not that you would necessarily know they come from this episode but just that like once you see it, you you probably be like, oh yeah, I've seen that before, and wondered what that what was, or like yeah. yeah, what 
what it is or whatever. So, or like maybe that character in that particular setting or whatever. So, okay. would definitely be interested to see your action on that. So, we'll get that in a couple weeks. Okay. Cool. All right. On the Doctor Who. All right. Uh, the Snowman. Yeah. So, I feel like with this episode, and I know you have some production notes, but just say sure. this sort of up front. Yeah. Um, I feel like this episode is another one that we've had a few of them, like recently even, mm-hmm. um, or like with, I say recently, like within the last season and a half maybe, mm-hmm. where it's like the story itself is not all that important mm-hmm. and like the situation um, so much as like plot-wise is almost secondary, but like feels like more the main point of getting the doctor back into the swing of things. Kind sure. Of, yeah. Uh, the way yeah. that happens. So, yeah, um, I think that's probably fair. The, the, well, with that said, I guess go ahead and give your production notes and then we'll, we'll. Okay. Yeah. I just on. had a few quick things. Um, so this is the third and final Hugo nomination for Dr. Who and Stephen Moffat in this year. Um, mm-hmm. so, uh, it was, you know, uh, well-received, I guess. That kind of indicates that critically. And um, and and I think positive, too, with the fans, from what I can tell. Um, and it also had a BAFTA, a Welsh BAFTA nomination for Best Editing, for what that's worth. Um, and we also get a new title theme and mm. credit sequence. Um, sure. So new music, new credits, um, which, you know kind of tend to happen whenever there are like sea changes in in you know like mm-hmm. they'll often like not every not necessarily with every companion change but like it seems like with the big ones with you know when like there's a major sort of shift and they're looking to kind of retool the show a bit you know you'll get things that are redesigned. So sometimes that comes with a new companion or a new doctor or whatever. Um, Mm. But so this is like our first time they've really done that since the ponds, you know? So it's kind of like you get a sense in this episode, I think that a certain amount of time has passed. It's not quite clear how much, but more than just like a week, you know, like a fairly significant amount of time. And so, you know, and we get, Uh, a new TARDIS as well. You know, we have a new companion. The doctor's got a slightly different kind of look about him. So we get, you know, a new opening credit sequence to go along with the Mm -hmm. sense that the show's in a new phase, I guess. Um, So, uh, just wanted to mention that stuff. So where would you like to start? Yeah, well, let's go ahead and start um, let's talk through as much as we need to about the situation and then mm-hmm. jump into Clara and the doctor and yeah. Vastra's team there. Um, okay. so I'm not even sure. So well, I guess starting with sort of the monster, which I guess, I guess is this intelligence thing, the great yeah. intelligence, the great is intelligence. that what you called it? Yeah. Um, which I did not know, but you mentioned to me right before we started recording that that it's an actually a uh, classic monster. Yeah. Um, so. And is it tip? Sorry, I was just going to ask. Like, is it typically like this sort of disembodied thing that inhabits various 
Basically, yes. Stuff. Yeah, so, like, intelligence being kind of the operative, you know, word there. This this mind that controls, you know, other things. So, it appeared in two different classic serials in the late 60s, um, Second Doctor episodes, um, The Abominable Snowmen and The Web of Fear. Um, and in both of those, uh, you know, it kind of inhabited and controlled, like... It always seems to be, like, snow-related monsters. So this mm. time it's actually snow, but, you know, it was either the Abominable Snowmen or uh, I think in the Web of Fear it's the Yeti. Um, and, you know, and it also has associations for some reason with all these references in the episode to the, the London Underground. Um, I think it's in the Web of Fear that that's kind of where the Yeti are sort of lurking or is in... The underground. So you kind of almost get the doctor giving the great intelligence the idea in this episode. Like, okay. it gives them the lunchbox with the plan for, like, the tube stations and everything. And it's sort of like, it kind of goes, huh, that's a good idea. And then goes off and, like, finds some other monsters. But, like, I think it, that's generally how what it is. It's, like, inhabiting either a creature or, like, a robot or something mm. that is, like mechanical or whatever that it can control with its mind um so kind of gotcha. you know a, a fairly major player in the grand scheme of doctor who villains i think mm -hmm. um and actually the most interesting part about it is that um in 2013 so soon after this episode premiered um several episodes of the web of fear were recovered in Nigeria of all places. Um, okay. so that serial is now available. Like you can buy it. And I think all but one of the episodes are now recovered, um, which it wasn't, you know, for 30 years or whatever. So, um, I think there's maybe been a speculation that Moffat may have had an, a hint of that like maybe that was part of the reason of why he gotcha. wanted to bring it back or it just could i don't know that that's confirmed it could just be a big coincidence um right, right. so in any case you know people who watched this episode within the next year could then go and watch the original you know mm. web of fear yeah. and see you know the great intelligence from 1968 or whatever um so kind of cool uh yeah. so um yeah so, yeah i, I mean, mean other than that i think i'm kind of with you like it's, it, the character stuff is more interesting in this episode <laughs> i mean i do enjoy the snowmen with their kind of their grins pumpkin grins and sharp teeth it's yeah. like it's the right amount of camp you know um yeah, it's, it's no, kind of creepy, kind of silly. Um, I do enjoy it. So I guess. Well, also, also, did you recognize Ian McKellen as the voice? Ah, no. Okay, I did not. Well, although you did warn me, like it would be someone someone famous. I should be able to. Yeah. It's it's Ian McKellen doing the voice. So gotcha for what that's um, worth. The so. I guess, I guess what I'm not clear on with that, with the whole situation thing is, so it wasn't actually like Simeon 
uh, you know, sort of projecting his own thing into the snowman and it coming to life. There, there actually was an external intelligence thing. Yeah, I mean, it seems to kind of be a bit of both. That like, it at first it seems more like a, like a reflective thing of he his kind of antisocial little thoughts, you know, are sort of reflected back at him. And but it seems like over time, the mind grows stronger and starts to control him instead of the other way around. So. So then is this the origin story of the great intelligence then? Like, is that sort of the it, idea? It kind of could be, yeah. I mean, it hmm. kind of seems that way. Um, I don't know that it ever definitively says that, but I'd be surprised if we ever got, you know. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could do another story which takes place earlier and shows a different origin, but, um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the the mind came from somewhere. So. Well, that that's what I mean. Like if it was like, if it was like a psychic thing of him projecting and it reflected back, but then like you get this sense of like at the end, like it's able to break out of the reflective mode and become right. its own thing. So that's like, that almost is like the birth of it in a way. Right. Like, right. And maybe the birth of it being able to then go and kind of like, possess other creatures you know rather than right yeah right yeah, yeah. that's I, you know whatever that's fine like but that's what i was trying to it do, like, it figure does seem, out if not the absolute origin at the very least i think it's being set up as like the prequel which explains the earlier classic stories like yeah. kind of how it operates um yeah yeah so okay um yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say about, like, the Latimer family and, and that right. stuff, um, other than I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about them with Clara and whatever. Clara. Sure. Uh, uh, so let's talk about her. Um, okay. Talking about X Men. So I think last time we talked about was I expecting the pawns mm. to leave, mm -hmm. to get, you know, forcefully sent back in time and right. sort of be the end of like, we can never see them again kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and I was surprised and ex explained that I wasn't really expecting that. Right. And I was kind of surprised again this time mm -hmm. because so often with these Christmas episodes, we get sort of the one-off companion. Right. Uh, so uh, when Clara showed up, mm. Uh, I was like, and like right at the beginning, right. like it's not even like right in the last. Oh, I see her name in the credits, and then you know it like see her later in the episode or something. Right. Like it's right there in yeah. your face, so it's like, oh, okay, yeah, was not expecting that. Um, which is fine. That's cool. Uh, also was not expecting her to die. Right. So. <laughs> so again <laughs> so it it kind of again complicates that question you know i i think uh uh i've seen people point this out before that again it's another fake out because you're not expecting clara you're expecting a one-off christmas companion which is usually what we get and then it's like 
oh, it's Clara. It's the permanent companion. And then, oh, she dies. Nope, it was just a one-off. Like, she kind of is both, you know? Yeah. Like, in a way, she is the one-off Christmas companion, like Kylie Minogue and dies at the end. In this manifestation, because presumably we'll see her again. Right. And, And we see another sort of version of her like a modern day kind of version of her at the end of the episode um so yeah it kind of straddles the line she's both the permanent companion and a one-off yeah 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 so so got me basically on both ends of the episode um very interesting way to do and and i would presume most people who watch it at least one of those things, right. you know, is a surprise to them. Well, and I um, think, too, it was, it, it may have been, I think it, it in the, and this, uh, I think it's going a while back, but in the uh, original conception for Clara, Moffat toyed with the idea of making her Victorian, like, permanently, you know, that that would be, mm-hmm. and and at some point decided against that. But I think that, rumor kind of got out there enough that probably when she showed up in this episode people weren't expecting her to die because people thought oh this is victor this is clara the victorian companion that we're gonna have so then you know when she dies at the end and then the modern day clara shows up you know you're kind of like what you know so there's a lot of misdirection going on yeah well and and so then you have the connection of the name of finding out that Oswin is actually her middle name. Because I, I right. was guessing at the right. end of like the a, episode a where she's a Dalek that a it, yeah, it was like or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I did not expect it to be the same person, mm. which I mean brings up paradoxical issues if it actually is the same person. Mm-hmm. Um, or I mean, I suppose it could be like a clone thing going on Mm -hmm. like you know there could be a number of i guess other explanations for it but um yeah just really sort of curious and confused about all that like i don't even know like other than i mean we can talk about like personality stuff with her but again Mm -hmm. like i feel like even the sort of plot related stuff doesn't really matter with her because (laughs) she just kind of dies <laughs> like sure. and not to say that like her life doesn't matter but like like you know the specific moments of like you know her working in a pub but also like being this governess and you know the whole like secret voice thing and like that kind of stuff like mm-hmm. i mean that's all fun and nice but like doesn't have a huge impact i think but like the things of like like you know sort of reiterating what we learned about Oswin mm-hmm. before of uh, you know that she is quite intelligent but mm-hmm. also and also curious mm-hmm. um, and that um, she you know to a certain extent can sort of hold her own with the doctor like sure. this isn't this isn't this isn't sort of your normal companion of like you know jumping into the doctor's world and just being completely sort of blinded by him. Mm. Um, and not to say that like he hasn't had capable companions before, cause certainly, you know, Amy, but like, you know, she met him when she was 
real right. young. So like right. that's one thing. Or even like Donna, who doesn't like doesn't take any guff, but also like doesn't really know what's going on at first. Like right. you know what right. I mean? Like she, you know, we would talk about like her sort of cluelessness. Like this is, you know, Clara sort of figures out immediately why he gives her the umbrella right. and sort of does the same thing that he does as far as like just sort of reveals it when she needs to, yeah. you know, and that kind of thing. Um, and also does sort of the same kind of dance around explanation, deductive, quasi Sherlockian mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, thing of like, yeah. oh, you're a foot taller than me. And, you know, so you could have just reached up, but you gave, you brought this, which means that you were planning all along to give it to me to do this. And, yeah. you know, if we're standing right here and, you know, not going over there and climbing down, then it means this thing and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So like, um, you know, again, like, like yeah not in not in a river-esque way but like there's very there's definitely sort of personality similarities to the doctor sure uh in a lot of ways so yeah i remember moffat saying that he deliberately cast the person he could find who could talk faster than matt smith that that was important that there's something about her mind and her mouth that have to be at least a match for his, you know, if, if not more. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that kind of between. The, you can fit a lot more dialogue into each episode. Certainly. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they go so fast. Um, and I think so far between the, the Clara's or the Oswins that we've seen, that kind of does seem to be one of the big personality traits that's obvious is that kind of I want to say aloof like not unconcerned and not like uninterested or unemotional but like that kind of slightly uh you know unimpressed quality or something like Mm. like it's not that she's not impressed but not to the degree that like you know some of the other companions have been like defined by like that moment of awe when they see, you know, like she has mm-hmm. the moment of awe when she sees the TARDIS, but she kind of subvert, she subverts it too. You know, it's smaller yeah, yeah. on the outside instead of bigger, you know? Yeah. Um, and asking about a kitchen, like that's the most important thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And kind of like, you know, when she's, you know, even like when he's, trying to get the memory worm and you know and and it's all going wrong and she's just sort of hanging around like she's not you know she's not concerned she's not concerned she's not really threatened she knows kind of like she keys in pretty pretty quickly to see past all the like you know impressive doctorishness into like the silliness underneath and how Mm -hmm. you know she, yeah, she's just kind of not bothered by it. Um, so. and, and in a way, like, just even those sort of expressions of, like, her curiosity and willingness to sort of let things play out right. um, is itself sort of doctorish. Yes. Like, you know, it's very, it's very much the, oh, let's jump in and see what happens. Yep. Like, um, and, and even, like, little comments like... Uh, you know, what's wrong with dangerous? Like, you know, why is that, why is that a problem? And, and, you know, things like that, like, um, and even like, and, and and the reflection of Dr. Who, Clara, who, you know, like mm. 
she's yeah. kind of a a mystery too. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, and and certainly, but so where I was also wanted to to talk about a little bit, like the the idea of um, memory comes up oh, yet yeah. again. Uh-huh. So and like, but it's different because now it's her exhorting the doctor mm. to remember yeah uh whereas like previously it's always been the doctor like either with amy or with rory or with you right. know someone whoever the companion is like it's always them like remember they need remember, to remember like, him yeah yeah you right amy you need to remember who rory is i mm-hmm. can't help you like remember this thing you have yeah. to do it and that kind of thing so it's it's definitely another sort of like twist but also like it's a twist but like another parallel to you know her being the one to sort of give him the clues to something that he needs to remember Mm -hmm. um which is what ultimately i mean there's a number of steps leading up to his doing it but it's it's the it's the intrigue of what's going on Mm -hmm. that sort of prompts him you know to get back in the TARDIS, so to speak, you know, like, sure. I mean, he's living in the TARDIS, but you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. to, to, to travel, to go traveling to again. Go, and, to go find and her whatever. and understand. Um, yeah. And, and also I like the, I mean, there's the, so, I mean, obviously a lot of like the sort of plot line of the story is the, um, psychic link that sort of develops between mm-hmm. the monsters and the people and sort of the fear like the more you think about it the more they but yeah. then like with the crying at the end causing it to rain so yeah. like the the heavily you know what like the extra dense moisturized clouds that yeah. he's been living on like like they've just they've washed away like now right. they're right. they're they're no longer available for him to hide in so it's kind of like well i gotta do something right, you know, my, right. i literally uh, can't go back up yeah, there um, um but but that kind of works nicely like symbolically too like it's it is the getting you know he resists having and we'll talk about the doctor soon but like he resists having another companion you know, mm-hmm. because of the loss of the last ones and yeah. like the, the again, the, the, the pain of losing them. But it is the emotional attachment to a person which draws him back out of it. So right. it's the, you know, the kind of devastation of of the loss of Clara when he thought, you know, she's going to be the next one that then like, you know. The, the tears of everyone causing the cloud to go away. Like, he can't go back to that again. He now yeah. has to go and, you know, he's invested now. He has to get back involved. There's there's always a nice imagery to the cathartic rain, you know. Like yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, fal- the pathetic fallacy and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, the, yeah, so as far as, right, like, and, I mean within the context of the episode you know we see him like he he seems to give away keys much quicker these days oh than... man he just whips that baby out doesn't <laughs> yeah he? yeah uh that i mean you know how many episodes did it take rose to get a key like good right God. or per martha uh, you know <laughs> um yeah fair enough you know uh, yeah no he like yeah um, he just but he but just i think pops it out 
to to your point, like before, it's like we know that there's been some unspecified amount of time, um, and presumably in this location, mm. like right. um, which right. is kind of funny, like the fact that it's, I mean there's always sort of jokes about how cloudy and overcast London can be. Right. But like, it seems like given the, you know, super dense state of the clouds and like how long he's been there, mm. but he doesn't like sort of notice that there's something wrong about that. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, the very fact that like there's this cloud buildup sort of implies that there's like, yeah, maybe something not right going on with the snow in yeah. the area and that kind of thing. But like he doesn't he doesn't notice that, right? It takes like you said, it kind of takes Clara. And and I like this sort of I mean, it's this weird uh convalescence of events, right? That sort of convalescence, that's not right. Uh coalescence, I guess, of events. Like she comes out the door and happens to see the snowman that just appeared just as he's walking by. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's like right. these three things sort of all happen, converge, you know, on yeah. in one place. Uh, and that's what, and, and uh, just a random comment that she makes right. to him as he passed by. That, right, like, that sort the snowman sets, just appeared, yeah. That, that sets the snowball rolling, you know, yeah. and and sure. gets things going. But um yeah, I but mean, and also, I think in Doctor Who there often is a. Oh, sorry, sorry. I, I was just gonna say, like, but, but, you know, talking about like the amount of time that he's been there, like, you also get the sense of, like, Vastra and Jenny and Strax mm-hmm. have, or at least Vastra and Jenny, maybe not Strax so much, yeah. have been sort of working on him. Like the fact that he's been right. in that area, like you get this sense that he's been there specifically like that, not just that place, but that time and that they've been, you know, really yeah. working to, to sort of pull it in. So like as fast, like bringing it back around to the key conversation, as fast as it feels that also kind of makes sense given that sort of yeah. timing and, and length that you get the sense of him having been there for a while. Yeah, totally. I I think that's part of, like, it would feel like, it's not like he just, you know, lost someone and is replacing them right away. That this is something he's been sort of sulking over for a long time. And, um, And I like the idea that, like, okay, he doesn't always give them the key at the same amount. Like, you know, something makes him think of it. Like, I was thinking even with Donna, he forgot that he never gave it to her. It's sort of a, oh, didn't I give you that already? I thought I gave that to you, like, you mm-hmm. know, two months ago or whatever. Um, so it's not even so much about who got it first. I like the sentiment of what he says to her about, I don't know why, I only know who. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, on this occasion, Which, it occurs... With the title is a nice little... With, yeah, with yeah. who. You know, and again, back to Clara who. Um, right. But... Uh, on this occasion, he happens to give it to her sort of up front, you know, but, mm. but the idea being that's the symbolic gesture of being a companion, you know, it doesn't, you know, the, the key isn't the key, you know, the key is inviting them on as the companion. Right. And, 
there's a certain quality, you know, he doesn't, you know, sure. whatever it is about each of them individually, he knows when he's found the right person. Um, yeah. And what I was going to say too, again, about kind of finding the right person is, you know, I feel like there's often a sense in the show of kind of either, you know, what do you want to call it? Providence or fate or luck or chance or whatever. Um, and a lot of times you can kind of, if you want to explain that away, you can usually explain it to the TARDIS. Like, well, they're in the right place at the right time because the TARDIS knew they needed to be there. I always took you where you needed to go, that sort of thing. Um, sure. But sometimes it's just sort of there. And, you know, so he's been here for God knows how long. And it just so happens that, you know he and Clara and the snowmen sort of converge at that exact moment. And that's exactly mm -hmm. where they needed to be. Um, sure. And, you know, you can't kind of point to the TARDIS necessarily and say that was her interference. It seems that that just sort of happens on occasion. So. Right. Um. A couple things with Clara that I do want to make sure. The only thing I want to say about her kind of double life as like the barmaid and the you know and the governess is I think that kind of is a reflection of the fact that she as a character has these different identities you know that yeah you know and I don't know we need to belabor that point too much but like this individual Clara with her different you know uh lives kind of mirrors the, the larger idea of Clara, who is, you know, both a futuristic, you know, astronaut, you know, entertainment manager, whatever she is, and, right. you know, and a Victorian, you know, girl, and also in, you know, a modern England as well. So, you know, I think it kind of tips at that direction, that she's somebody who has, like, contradictions and seems like in paradoxical positions too mm. yeah um yeah um i didn't think well I, yeah i don't know I, di I didn't really think about them paradoxical i mean i guess from oswin and clara that we've seen is that what you meant by paradoxical? yeah yeah it just meant like how can she be in these different places at the at these right, different right. times yeah not so much with i mean with with the barmaid and the governess you just know she's a good actor and so she can put on an accent and she can you know do whatever job she kind of Ex decides to do except for when the snow sort of hits yeah, the fan so to speak bloody like, hell, yeah yeah you're you're using your secret voice yeah. oh you noticed did you yeah um yeah she yeah, slips and, back into the like you um, know, cockney and everything yeah but i think so even if that's not sort of paradoxical maybe incompatible like right. you know it's still like like you kind of feel like if uh captain latimer there mm -hmm. sort of found out that she was actually a bar which she does in this episode but right you know short it's like moments before she dies <laughs> right uh it's you know the least it doesn't of her problems, it doesn't yeah. it does yeah it's not like a big deal uh but like yeah you kind of get the feeling like it was just sort of a normal day and he found that out like it, he wouldn't be too 
pleased with that. Mm. Like, there's a class, there's certainly a class thing yeah. sort of going on, which is why it's her secret voice right. or whatever. Right. Like, there's definitely um, something going on there. Um, like I said, like, not paradoxical per se, but like incompatible, yeah. sort of, at least from a social mm-hmm. standpoint. Um, yeah. So, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, but yeah, like given that now, presuming she is in some way the same person, mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's, yeah, this question of like, okay, so who really is Clara? Which again, goes back to my like the more I think about it the more, more I'm seeing parallels seems, of yeah. yeah like the doctor because like that's that's the doctor except for the fact that she doesn't change her look right so she's right. she she has these sort of multiple lives like the doctor mm. and these multiple and multiple personalities deaths, you know? <laughs> well yeah I yeah right yeah, that yeah. go along with the multiple lives right and and these different like sort of shifts in personality and not well and maybe that's not even the right way to say it like at least in situation and circumstance she's throughout various points in time and space and all of these things um but she doesn't her look doesn't change Mm -hmm. so like that's that sort of seems to be a key difference Mm -hmm. um but otherwise, yeah, like, there's still all... The, and not to say that there aren't any other differences, but, right. like, that there seems to be yeah. a bunch of similarities. Yeah. No, I think it's definitely a reflection of of the multiple lives of the Doctor. But you're right that, like, it seems like her circumstances change, but she's more constant than he is in a way. Like, both her in her look and, like, her basic personality traits. You know, mm. like, she's still got the same kind of you know, those qualities we noticed of, like, the curiosity and the kind of unimpressedness and the pluck and all that kind of thing and, and the way her mind works seem to soufflés. be... And the soufflés. And her name. You know, they seem to be... Well, I guess the doctor's name is consistent, too, so that doesn't count. But, um, yeah, like, those things seem to be a little bit more constant, but but I'm definitely with you that, like, that's another reflection of him. Um... I guess to kind of transition from one to the other, I want to make sure to mention probably my favorite scene, which is the whole one word test where, you know, you you kind of get that, of course, like, you know, the lit major picks the wordy thing as the favorite. But um, I kind of get the idea that the doctor constructs this impossible test that like the point of it is that nobody will ever pass. You know, so he can just sit up on his cloud and, you know, this is... And then it's everyone else's fault. And then, it, like, well, they failed the test, out. you know. Um, so, you know, and kind of a, you know, you do that kind of thing of, you know, set up, like, a ridiculously unlikely situation and then wait and see if fate, you know, gives you a sign. Um, because only, it could only be fate that could, like, get past all the criteria for this. Um, um, and she does, you know, with the brilliant use of pond at the end. Um, yeah. So, 
yeah, I just think that's one of the cleverest things that Stephen Moffat ever wrote. Um, cause it, it, yeah, and I like no, it too, good. that it, it references the ponds and the end of their era without like dwelling on it, you know, because it's been a while sure. for the doctor. So it's not, it's not that it's right at the surface, but it's sort of like, you know, and you could watch this episode for the first time and not know who the pawns are and understand it just fine, I think. But um, mm. but if you've been watching, it has all these other, you know, associations that come along with it that convince it, it is the one word that could convince the doctor to help. Um, sure. So, again, that sense of like. Providence or fate or whatever you want to call it sort of. I think Vastra says, like, let's see if the gods are with you. And they are, mm -hmm. um, it seems to be. Right. And there's the whole, like, bargaining with the universe, right. you know, stuff. Like, he's like, well, yes, I am. Don't you think I deserve, like, yeah. something at this point? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, there's. Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't have anything more to say than that. But, yeah. Um. Well, so, do we have anything else for the doctor specifically? Um, I mean, I think we talked about. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, that 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 sort of fate bargain with the universe stuff was kind of the other big mm -hmm. point I had, but I don't, I don't know that we need to dwell on it. Just like that, there, he there does he does seem to feel like he's owed something. Mm -hmm. um, he sort of is vague about it. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he, you know, don't you think after all this time and everything that I've done, then I'm owed this one. But, like, as he's saying that, you also get the feeling that he is taught, like you said, they don't really explicitly mention the pawns. Mm -hmm. But, like, you have to be thinking about the pawns. Like, yeah. all the time and everything I've ever done. Like, yes, that's true. But we know that, like, this has affected you, like perhaps more than any other companion ever. Sure. Like they're they're yeah. leaving. I I say that not having watched the classic series, of course. Sure. But like but like you do you do get that feeling of like that it's sort of the way they left and all of that and something we didn't really even talk about either, but like the whole thing with this conversation to Brian of like never them, you know, like right. you know, it's right. That becomes Never such say a never ever, Doctor. Um, right i know right he forgets his own his own um, lessons um yeah just the, the just the fact of you get that sense of you know i'm and we got that before like with with the 10th doctor a sense of gaps between like he'd go off for a while like he's not ready for another but you know, and, and, and more that may so have been, in the later part. Yeah, no, and, know, and yeah. that may have been for a long time, for all we know. But here, I mean, it's definitely styled as, like, again, the, the idea of, like, a sea change, you know, that the, the TARDIS itself regenerates. You know, like, the last mm. time we saw it do that, it's because it crashed and burned. Like, what kind of upheaval do you need to have the TARDIS sort of remake itself and yeah. even the doctor i mean he's kind of dressed in the period and everything but the fact that he's kind of done away with his normal look and kind of you know uh, uh 
I'll give a slight hint slash spoiler that he kind of sticks with this look. He never goes back to the... He's still kind of in tweed. He's still got his bow tie. But he never goes back to the kind of way he looked before with the pond. It's, it's a little less whimsical. It's a little... In a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little... Yeah, and it, it's darker in color. Um, mm -hmm. It's more old-fashioned. And... Too. Also, I think Matt Smith does something with his performance, too, that he's always been kind of the old man and the young body and everything, but I think he deliberately ages the performance a bit. You know, he seems mm -hmm. a little, uh, not slower, but just a little more, something more ancient or elderly about him. And also... More deliberate, maybe? Yeah, like... I don't know. Pay attention to it, because I think he does it on purpose. Um mm. I think another big thing, too, is uh, the difference of companions that Jenna Coleman is like, you know, five foot two or whatever. And, you know, Karen Gillan is, you know, pushing six feet or whatever. So with Amy, you get the sense of eye to eye. We're on the same mm. level, you know, whereas Jenna Coleman makes him stoop over. You know, he he hunches down to talk to her. And I think it adds to this sense of increased age and kind of you know a little bit more weariness on him so yeah. um i think all that kind of contributes to this idea that this was a big loss and it's taken a lot to sort of you know recover from yeah so no that makes sense um oh i do want to mention too that the, the just the Sherlock jokes, since it's Moffat, you know, oh, yeah, you can't yeah. resist having, you know, a little bit of a crossover. And, um, and I like when he's trying to do his deductions and they're just not working, you <laughs> yeah. know, do, do you have a goldfish named Colin? No, thought not. And he's thought very not. smug about it. Like, ah, I got that one right. So, yeah. um, you know. Yeah, no, and the... And with Vastra and her team yeah. being like, like the model, the inspiration yeah. for uh, Sherlock Holmes himself. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll link to. There's a couple prequels that were, you know, put online over, you know, before this, kind of to explain, to set it up. You know, who are these guys are called the Paternoster Gang, you know, because they live on Paternoster Row or whatever. So, um, kind of to explain, remind people of who they are, explain again how Strax is alive because they kind of revive him after the Battle of Demons run. Um, and then to kind of show that they're trying to get the Doctor, you know, back engaged and paying attention yeah. to the world. Um, but, yeah, like one of the prequels is called The Great Detective. You know, so it's like, sure. you know, it starts with the clear Sherlock you know, reference, and, you know, so you have Faster and Jenny, who, you know, are Victorian and are detectives, um, and you have the kind of, you know, mind, and then the more kind of enforcer, you know, and, and this kind mm -hmm. of companion relationship, but also, you know, they're women, and they're in a romantic relationship, and one of them's, you know, a Silurian, so... A slight, a slight twist on the original. Yeah, just a little. Just a little bit. Cool. Um, 
I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure that. I mean, I think those three are fun. I don't know how much depth there is to say about them. Um, yeah, I think the the feeling I sort of got from it was that like there are like there are always sort of these people who know about the doctor mm-hmm. and and who are even sort of you know friendly with him mm-hmm. and you know willing to help and whatever and even like like because like all right the doctor sort of i don't know been pouting for a long time right. and you know sitting on his cloud where's river been like this whole time who knows maybe she right. has stopped by and to see him or whatever but mm-hmm. like she's not the one who's like trying to get him back out there, right at least as far as we can tell yeah so it's like you know it takes a certain person you know or type of person or whatever to actually get him up and going like mm-hmm. you know again like you feel like these people may have been sort of massaging him into place right. sort of you know to speak but like they 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 would never themselves be able to get him right you know back to sort of doing what he was doing like you feel like yeah they're just their their main purpose i mean not that i mean you know they're off solving crimes and stuff too i'm mm-hmm. sure so like not to say that they're purposeless but like with respect to the doctor at least and and sort of the story of the doctor their main purpose is to just keep working at him so that he doesn't miss the opportunity when it comes along. Right, right. You know, like that that alone of themselves, they're never going to be enough to sort of kick him into gear. And yeah. so it does, so that reference of, I never know why, I only know who, mm. like, you know, sort of in that context, I think becomes even a little bit more important perhaps because it it really does take a special person right right someone. yeah we see it's not that he doesn't have friends and allies you know right but are they companions in the full sense of it no they kind of you know are more you know uh tied to this this place in time you know that they're doing something specific here they have specific you know, lives that they're leading. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, I, yeah, like you said, I, I, you know, I like, kind of like them. I like the idea of them, mm-hmm. but I don't know, at least in this story, that it's that crucial that we talk through a ton of their stuff. Yeah. Um, although I do like, <laughs> I do like the moment of, um, when like the maid opens the door and Vaster's there, she's like, I'm a lizard from the dawn of time. And this is my wife. Right. <laughs> like right. just like this, like that's the last straw. This yeah. Victorian woman can't like any of any part of that sentence. She just simply right. can't handle. Which, of, which of this is more shocking. <laughs> and then after all that, you know, that, you know, stuffy Captain Latimer says, you know, you have a gentleman friend. Like that's the part he can't get past. Not like right. the lizard people. It's yeah, like, like he's clearly you know, in love with Clara. Well, yeah, but just that, like oh, the fa- which remind sorry remind oh. me of something else I wanted to mention. But go ahead, finish your no. Just part. that idea of like in the face of all these things you can't understand, you go back to like the most mundane thing that you can't understand. You know, not like 
forget the aliens and the snow and the lizard people. It's the like, my governess has a secret lover who's been upstairs. You know, that's what yeah. we can kind of wrap right. our minds around. Right, right. Um, so going back to Clara, mm. actually, uh, the other thing I was surprised about was how quickly they developed her into a rom- potential romantic sure. interest. Yeah. Um, Woods not. Another ex- I, thing I would say is consistent across the incarnations that we've seen, like with with Oswin, of how kind of uh, immediately flirtatious she is yeah. with, with yeah, both yeah. the Doctor and Rory, and it seems like that's true of this Clara too. Yeah, she definitely goes for it. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yeah, I mean. Maybe I should have expected that, but I didn't, so... Yeah, yeah, not necessarily. I think, you know, that's always uh, at least something on the table, even if they don't... Even if they decide not to go that direction. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, with Donna... But even with Donna, you specifically establish that that's not what's going on because it's always a a, a question, you know, of... Mm. Is this, you know potentially romantic or not so yep yeah yep. um yeah no i mean obviously early on they sort of flirted mm-hmm. liter- literally and figuratively with right. that with amy too right. you know yeah. like um i mean from her perspective anyway the doctor always sort of resisted it because right. she was you know what 11 years right. old to him right. you know kind right. of thing but like yeah. um you know she on the night before her wedding is trying to snog and do more with him. So, um, yeah, not like I said, maybe I shouldn't have Mm -hmm. ruled it out. And and I didn't necessarily rule it out. I just was sort of, I guess, wasn't expecting it. The fact that she just like pretty much kisses him right away. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, yeah. And his thing about like, she says eyes front, you know, and he says, mine are yeah. always front. She says, mine aren't. So, mine aren't. Yeah. you know, she, at the same time as she's kind of chastising him, she's also, you know, no, she's not really chastising him. She's sort of being the playful right. and more aggressive one of the two. Yeah. And it's, it's another, like, that we get throughout the episode, another of the, you know, sort of subversions or yeah. explicit calling out of Victorian sort of... Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Britishness, I guess, in a way. Right. Whatever. Right. Whatever you want to call it. Sensibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm going to sort of actually just bring up the same thing that you kind of did with Buffy as far as like, I don't, I really have no idea where to go from here. Right. Because like, right. Um, you know, going back to, I was surprised when the pawns left last time. Because I had been expecting them to leave the time before, and they didn't. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe we get some more time with them, which we did, mm-hmm. just very briefly. Very short, yeah. <laughs> um, and then wasn't expecting to see Clara this time, and certainly wasn't expecting her to die again. Yeah. Um, and find out that she is, in some way, the same person. Um, I don't, like, I am trying my best to go into this next episode without any expectations. Cause I really don't know. Um, yeah. What, it, what any of that means. So. Fair enough. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
And and so now we get the flip side of the Christmas, the mid-season Christmas story. Right. Uh, yeah, and we'll, I guess, yeah, it's kind of, it. the whole, the whole stretch. So talking about, like, at least with Buffy, it's only, like, one episode at the end that's kind of odd. Like, yeah. this whole season it's for weird. Doctor Who is kind of weird. It, that's true. Well, yeah. next time we're... Yeah, we're starting the, the the back half or the back end, I guess, of, you know, it's not, we're still not exactly halfway because of the numbers are weird, but okay. we're starting the second phase of the seventh season, I guess, um, and, and we'll be in 2013, which is the 50th year, so big year yeah. for the show. Which is, which is the oh. year we started our podcast. It is. <laughs> Uh, this is kind of, you know, it wasn't too much before here that I was like, you know, catching up with the show myself. So this is all fresh to me because it's the stuff I was watching, like, as it was coming out live and mm. everything. Um, I did want to mention, for what it's worth, since we're going into the, the 50th year, too, um, on Clara's uh, gravestone, it lists her birthday is november 23rd which is the anniversary date of the show um uh, now it's not the same year obviously it's like 18 you know 60 right. or whatever but um but november 23rd is a very significant date in the history of the show okay. we're now in that year so i think that's probably worth noting okay very cool all right Right. Well, I guess we'll be back next week talking about more of this and some Angel, and we'll see where it goes. All right. See you then. Mm-hmm.